Politics Uncensored with Ali Milani on Fubar Radio. Welcome back, everybody. I have made it. I am back on Fubar Radio with another episode of Politics Uncensored. We took a few weeks off. We did some thinking. We did some brushing down, and we are now relaunching Politics Uncensored. Uh, here to bring you views, uh, politics, uh, opinions, people from across our political spectrum. Today we've got a really, really exciting show and we are relaunching with a question. Are the Conservative Party in an existential crisis? Speaking today, we've got Dr. Joe Crisp, uh, Research Associate at the Institute for Policy Research, University uh, of Bath, uh, Mikhail Korniv, uh, Researcher at Bright Blue, and James Cowling, Founder of Next Generation Tories. But... Before we go to them, we have a wonderful guest, Clive Lewis MP, Labour MP for Norwich South. Clive, thank you so much for joining us. I know you have a very, very busy schedule, so I appreciate you coming on the show today. What we're talking about today is a new report by Onward uh, that has found that nearly two-thirds of millennials think that the Conservative Party deserve to lose the next general election. Onward, uh, a right-wing think tank, has said that the pa- party's failure to win over young p- voters poses an existential challenge to the party. We've read the report and it looks like for the very first time, a generation is not aging towards the Conservative Party. As people are getting older, they are not getting more right wing. Uh, What's your initial reaction to this, Clive? Hello? Well, I think we might have some technical issues there with Clive. Can you hear me? There we go, Clive. I've got you now. Sorry about that. So um, I was just talking about this Onward report called Missing Millennials that is finding that as young people are getting older, they are not becoming more conservative. What's your your initial view to that? Hello, Clive, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Hello? Okay, we're going to come back to Clive because I think we've got some technical issues. As we do, first show back, we've got some technical difficulties. Uh, But what I'll do is I'll talk to you a little bit uh, about uh, this report. Uh, It's called Missing Millennials. It's by you uh, onwards, a right-wing think tank. Uh, And what they have found is that there is a gap between the vote share between Labour and the Conservatives, and it's dropping. So as people are getting older... Uh, between the ages of 25 to 34 years old, they are less likely to vote Tories than the previous generation. Uh, James Blagden, head of politics and polling, uh, said, and I quote, with homewardship a dwindling dream, stalling wage growth and soaring childcare costs, it is no wonder that millennials are becoming less conservative as they age. To paraphrase Tony Blair, millennials' instincts are to get on in life and they think the conservative instincts are stopping them. So, Clive, I think we've got you back now. Good. Can you hear me now? I can hear you excellently. Sorry about that. (laughs) That's brilliant. I don't know if you could hear me, but basically we're talking about this Onward report that is finding that as people are getting older, they are not becoming more conservative, as had Mm. been the case with previous generations. What's your initial reaction to that? Well, I suppose it's... I mean, if you're a young person listening to this show, then it probably doesn't come as too much of a surprise, given that this is uh, a, a, the Conservative Party has literally overseen the decimation of public services. It's failed to act on the climate crisis. It suppressed people's ability to even protest or take action for higher pay uh, in terms of anti-trade union legislation. Um, and, you know, we know that the baby boomers now, the older generation, have, have snaffled far more of, of public wealth, uh, of GDP, than um, people who were perhaps under under 40, under 30. So, you know, in terms of the cost of living crisis, it's being disproportionately, um, impact, bur- being, the burden is disproportionately on uh, a younger generation. And, and I guess they're voting with their feet. So it doesn't come as a complete surprise and a complete shock. Where they end up, though, I think is probably as interesting. And I think with the fragmentation of kind of centre and left parties across Western democracies, but particularly here in the UK with our first past the post system, that means that the Conservatives will still continue to get in more often than not, um, even with a declining share of the vote. Yeah, so one of the things I'm curious about is whether this is actually an existential crisis for the Tories. I mean, unfortunately, the, our, our, our really outdated um, uh, democracy means that you're right, they probably will survive. But they tend to, to do this thing where they say, you know, this is just a woke generation um, and uh, that... 
the reason that the conservatives aren't maybe connecting with younger people is because wokeness is 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 running rampant the actual report from a right-wing think tank is saying the things that millennials top five issues that millennials care about are the economy the nhs the environment housing uh and issues uh taxation and and, and equality and actually what i found most interesting about the report is that it's actually saying that millennials tend to be more left-wing economically they think equality should be prioritized over economic growth and a person's position as society is due to factors outside factors rather than individual effort so it's no surprise is it that while the conservative party have gone on this far-right rampage where they're talking you know attacking trans people attacking migrants attacking refugees while we have nowhere to live no in a cost of living crisis it's no surprise that young people are leaving the party no no, it isn't. It isn't a surprise. But I mean, if you look, if you take the longer view of history, I mean, they are the most successful political political party in the Western world, with good reason. Um, they can morph and change. Um, they're obviously a party of political power, of established power. That's really clear if you look at their history over the last four hundred years. But they're also a party that is able to adapt very effectively. Uh, they morph. You know, the Conservative Party that we have now isn't the same Conservative Party that you had, say, in the 1970s, and it's not the same party you had in the pre-war period, you know, so, you know, this is the party that is, that is, the, um, they are masters of being able to adapt and change mm-hmm. and to stay in power. So I don't think you can write them off. I think you'd be stupid to. And, you know, they would always look out for their class interest, and they're very good at doing that. Um, but can they bring, you know, they, they, they are an alliance of different interests, and can they bring young people back into the fold? It's really interesting that you called uh, an economy with more equality left wing. Um, that's <laughs> not always been the case. Yeah. Um, you know, in the immediate post-war period, I would have I would have said that to varying degrees, both um, of the main two main political parties in this country would have agreed that the public sphere, the public realm, public services, um, caps on um, how much money you know companies could make, limits on that. Um, mm-hmm. that these were things that were commonly accepted. I don't think they're necessarily left wing, but what we have at the moment is a is a is a conservative party that is addicted to a sixty year old creed. Um, it's almost a cult yeah. of Thatcherism, a cult of free markets. When they have now been comprehensively proven not to work. If you don't believe me, go and look at adult social care as an example. Look at water. Look at rail. These have failed as privatizations of them that the market knows best. Look at the climate crisis. That is, a, in part, a failure of free market ideology. So I think this understand this no, this notion that these are left wing sentiments is wrong. And I think you should watch out for the Conservative Party. They can merge. They can change. They can shape shift. And and I wouldn't be surprised if that process is going to take place. Which way they go, whether they go down a right wing rabbit hole of list trust, resmog. Um, and others, or whether they adapt to something uh, something different, um, is is up for debate. Yeah. This, uh, yeah. this, Clive, this is what I'm interested in. I, I think your analysis is spot on. My, my, my question is, uh, you're right in that they're highly adaptive. They are a party of established power. But something, maybe it's uh, my young naivety, but something seems different, at least in my lifetime. They seem to have been hijacked by... Uh, the Jacob Rees-Mogg, Nadine Doris sort of wing of the party. And we saw that in the very fact that Liz Truss won such a big majority over Rishi Sunak and he only became prime minister after she, after she collapsed. Do you think they are capable of, I mean, you're, you're seeing conservative colleagues day to day, are they capable of uh, sort of rebranding, of adapting to meet some of these issues or are they now hijacked by a by a dogmatic far-right section of the party i think it well i think some of i think yes they are effectively and and they're held together by the first post to post voting system and we'll see who comes out on top i would say the people that you've mentioned the dean dorries uh Mogg, um and others on the right of politics richard tice and others they, these are there's a reason which um stuart hall who was a kind of an academic um cultural theorist kind of came out with this expression, which was that culture eats policy for breakfast. And what you're seeing with that part of the Tory of the Conservative Party is this reaction against a changing world, uh, a world where a younger generation are more liberal on everything from mm-hmm. trans to race, to how society should be created, who should have wealth, who shouldn't, how we should 
uh, construct ourselves as a society. And that, those are cultural issues, but they're locked into this belief that, that basically established itself probably in the late 19th century, the height of, of imperialism, which is a kind of view of what the world should look like. It is a world dominated by white, wealthy men, and they kind of packaged that up and exported it to the rest of the empire, and they've held on to that. And for the last kind of 80 years, they've been fighting a rearguard action against a modern changing world. And what you're seeing at the moment is a kind of backlash against this changing world, whether it's on trans issues, whether it's on um, Black Lives Matters, kind of critical race mm -hmm. theory, whatever it is. It's this hatred yeah. of the fact that they feel that they're losing control, that they're losing, and I use this expression purposefully, the whip hands uh, in how uh, our culture and how it moves forward. Culture is really interesting because culture is the lens through which you see the world. It's through how you understand the yeah. world, how you understand the economy, how you understand policies. So they are right to want to fight it, I think, but I think they're increasingly in a minority, which is why they're fighting so viciously. But it's also a, a, a toxic uh, view of culture, a toxic view of the world, one that I think increasingly people can see through. Yeah. But they have a lot of allies on their side. They have a right-wing media, and they have a lot of people who don't want to engage in this uh, in this battle for ideas, for culture. Uh, and that means that they get to dominate the field. But I think those people are culture warriors, but it's a culture from the 19th century. And I think it's one that should be, hopefully, mm -hmm. consigned to the dustbin of history. But I think that's why they are at odds with perhaps other parts of their party who are perhaps more pragmatic and more and look more at their economic interests and accept yeah. that the world is a changing place. Yeah, I mean, that's just my that's just one take on it. Sure. You know, I you know. So the, the, the other point is, I mean, that's the conservatives element. And I think we could talk all day about where they are and uh, and and how they're going to try and fight out of it and whether they'll be able to adapt. But for me, there is a unique opportunity here for a party, a progressive party, a party on the left. The terms in British politics is difficult to use, but a Labour Party, for example, to talk about issues like the environment, like housing, like progressive taxation and other things. Because when I'm looking at this report, which is by a right wing think tank, it says everyone from 18 to, to, to near 40s, their top five issues include the environment and you know, this is an issue that clearly didn't make it into Rishi Sunak's top five priorities that he released. But you're, you are the co-chair of the APPG on the Green New Deal, which believes that climate change is fueled by a broken economy. And you've called for radical reform to social, economic and political model to deal with our climate crisis. Is there not a really big opportunity here for a progressive Labour Party to make the argument that clearly the voters want to hear about on the issue of the environment? So yes, there is. And, and I must give my party credit. It has addressed many of those issues. So the £28 billion a year yes. um, from yeah. Labour Party on investment in 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 those green, in that green sector, in that green transformational plan. It's it's a start. It's not mm -hmm. enough, but it's a start. And it's better than it's coming from any other political party, as far as I know, perhaps with the exception of the, the Green Party. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's but I mean, just, not, but they're obviously with yeah. one MP. That's not going to happen. Sure. So, but Clive, I, I guess what, what I guess what I'm talking about, sorry to interrupt you, but I guess what I'm talking about is I, I agree the policy issues are there. And I was I was really happy at party conference when I saw some of those things announced. But it can be central to the narrative of the kind of country we want to build, the kind of government we want to be. Yes. I think that opportunity I, so, is there. I, yeah, I'm going to come on to that. Okay. So. I think the problem we have at the moment, and I, I often feel like I fixate about this, but I think it, it, whilst it isn't a panacea, what we have at the moment is a, a political voting system. And this will explain, I think, why the Labour Party is in the quandary it's in, where it can't talk about those things. So, you know, if you speak to most people in this country, they probably wouldn't put um, stopping desperate human beings uh, crossing the channel or showing or having a humane asylum system as their top priority. But if you listened to the political class, if you listened to the newspapers, it is. Most people are concerned about the fact, will they be able to get their cancer treated in time? Will their elderly parents be looked after properly? Will they be able to keep their energy, uh, their lights on and put food on their table? That is what most people's concerns are. And yes, they're concerned about the NHS and they're concerned about the climate. What this government is doing is looking at symptoms of those bigger of those bigger issues. But what First Past the Post does, it basically, whether it's Mondeo Man, Worcester Woman or Redwall Voter, it takes a caricature of a group of swing voters, about a million people in a certain number of key swing seats that happen under First Past the Post. And with the use of uh, mainstream media, uh, they basically tell these people, these are what the political issues are. And they're the political issues which favour 
frankly, um, uh, the, the, the ruling elites, the political establishment, whoever you want to call them, the Conservative Party in this case, and what their interests are. And it allows you to manipulate the political talking points mm-hmm. uh, and what is considered politically allowable within that. And, and the result of that means that all of the two, the two main political parties in particular, who are the two winners from first past the post, have to have message discipline, which is, well, this is the issue yeah. that we have to talk about. Therefore, these are the issues, the narrative that we will focus on, and we will discipline our party to do that. And that's the that's the tyranny of first past the post. And actually, all those other issues you've mentioned, Ali, yeah. get pushed to the sidelines uh, in so many yeah. ways. And so actually, I think... Clive, I... I, I vote according to who they want may i felt matter than were counted then i think you'd see political preferences and what people actually want yeah. politicians to be talking about and to have that narrative would be far more effective and far more kind of connected in to where people are and that just doesn't happen at the moment yeah i mean look i i felt that tyranny desperately in an election campaign when i knew the issues not just the issues but the solution to the issues was so broad and required so bravery but was continuously told we had to stick to one or two topics yes. because you know that's what the the system had dictated uh, yeah. the election would be about um and i want to lastly talk about uh, talk about this with you and i hope you don't mind is is an issue of bravery um I'm going to maintain that I'm still young. Uh, you're allowed to disagree. But one of the issues that, you know, when I'm talking to friends, colleagues um, uh, around politics, one of the things that our age group is desperately looking for is a little bit of political courage. Anyone can respond to a focus group, can regurgitate what they're told in a focus group. But what we want is our politicians to have the bravery, the courage to to address some of these issues in the way that they deserve. Things like Black Lives Matter, that's why they've been so so prominent. You have launched a campaign calling on Rishi Sunak to enter negotiations with Caribbean leaders on pairing reparations for Britain's role in slavery. Now, that's an it takes an incredible amount of courage to talk about this issue because we know the way that the some of the mainstream media and some of mainstream politics reacts to this. Can you talk to us a little bit about this campaign, but also, you know, what caused you to bring this up and whether you think that your colleagues and our politics in general just needs a little bit more courage to talk about issues that might not be what is focus grouped as the top five issues. Yeah, uh, and uh, so, uh, so thank you for saying that because it is an issue that <laughs> really um, makes my timeline very pleasant on social media. I can only imagine. imagine. Um, and it's not something you enter into lightly. Well, first of all, I, I have Caribbean heritage. I'm, I'm half Grenadian. So that gives me a kind of, I suppose, added incentive to speak up on this. Um, it, it kind of it's just something that I've been speaking. I'm I'm uh, the chair of the British Caribbean Association and uh, uh, Lord Boateng, Paul Boateng, uh, you may recall, worked under Tony Blair, gave a really fantastic speech about the challenge and the need for voices inside Parliament to speak up about reparations. And it really it really it, it hit a nerve. And then a little while later, just to kind of background, a little while later, the Trevelyan family um, discovered through the uh, University College London archives on slavery that the, of the hundreds of billions of pounds of today's money that was paid to the slave owners um, and not the slaves at the abolition of slavery, um, that they profited very handsomely from that. So they went there to apologise and to set up a trust fund. Um, for people in the in in Grenada, and they work with Caricom, which is a kind of economic organisation of different Caribbean islands, um, to do that. And uh, and I I gave a speech in Parliament, and I connected and reached out to them, and we're now busy working on a campaign. But the reason I think that came very became very clear to me, if you look at the Caribbean, the Caribbean has been left in a dire state. It is one of the most it's one of the most impoverished parts of the world, and the least prepared for the climate crisis that's heading our way mm-hmm. in terms of food security energy access and rising sea levels and all the storms and hurricanes that we know are going to devastate those islands in the years to come. Uh, And yet, at the same time, the kind of irony, the evil irony, if you want, is that they, over 400 years, were ruthlessly, um, there was genocides, there was mass murder, um, and they, they, this this country and other European countries brutally extracted from from those people and those countries vast wealth that they invested in their industrial revolution. And you know, that racist ideology that was developed to justify that is the structural racism that we see all around us, that we see internationally and we see nationally. And mm-hmm. I think this country is a, a, is a is a wonderful country. But I think it as countries, we often tell ourselves stories and good history is about constantly going back to those stories and reappraising them. And it, I think this country after Brexit and, and it's kind of post-imperial period 
it needs a period of catharsis. It needs a period of understanding its history. And the, yeah. the history we currently tell ourselves is that uh, we gave up our empire um, uh, after we beat these really nasty Nazis. Uh, and then we created this really nice world order um, in which everyone kind of holds hands and sings Kumbaya and everything's nice. Uh, and we're kind of, we're, we're the good guys. You know, this is a great country, but it has to live up and face up to some of the darker parts of its history. Now, some people say, well, we know what that was. But the stories that we tell ourselves and the uh, legacy. I'm not sure we do know. That yeah. period of what we did, how we became wealthy, how yeah. we became one of the biggest economies in the world, and how we still keep many of those countries and left them in poverty, particularly the Caribbean, is not a part of the story that is widely known. So part of reparations about having that conversation with the country so that we can move forward, we can close that chapter properly. But to do that, you have to look at the state of the Caribbean at the moment. It is yeah. one of the poorest parts of the world. We've left it that way, despite the fact of what it's contributed to this country. And we owe it a debt. You know, those yeah. people have come over here. You know, they helped build this country. They came over to help rebuild it after the war. And then many of them were deported. And now they can't get compensation through Windrush. I mean, you yeah. can't make this story up. Yeah. And, the, and the islands they've come from are now about to be devastated by the climate crisis caused mainly by the industrialization process. Yeah, that were, they were broken on to build. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a, a social and economic justice story, but it's also a story and a campaign which tells the story of this country. It's a, in many ways, it's about taking on the culture war, but on our terms. And actually, yeah. I think the reason I think it's important is because the vast majority of people in this country, when they understand the story, will understand that there is a, a sense of natural justice and that this country can be you know, a brilliant country. Uh, in mm -hmm. the future, if it wants to be, if it lives up to its uh, it, its the yeah. thing, the obligations that it it has to other parts of the world. Yeah, and I think look, it's 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 one of those things. I agree with you. Look, I I, I think this is an uh, is an amazing country. I love our community here. I love um, being here, and I think it's only a testament to the health of our democracy and us as a country to be able to recognize with clear eyes what we've done, the darker parts of our histories, but also yeah. what we can do now to address them. It's really important that our politics and our politicians and legislatures recognize that we're not in moment zero. This isn't the first episode of the series. Um, we're, we're several seasons in and we need to, to take actions to address things. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm particularly enthralled by the way you've intertwined your answer in that this isn't just a foreign policy issue. It's an environmental issue. It's an economic issue. It's a it's a human rights issue. They're all interlinked. Yeah. Um, and if we're going to deal with the climate crisis, we're going to deal with it as one world. We're not going to deal with it as 200 We countries. can't keep dealing with the symptoms. The yeah. symptoms are war, destabilization, refugees, violence, mm -hmm. um, and the works. And, and, you know, there are too many politicians that just that just want to basically talk about, you know, yeah. spending defense reviews, increasing yeah. our ability to deal with the symptoms. And we have to think about yeah. dealing with you know the, the causes and tackling those. And that's yeah. poverty, the climate crisis um, and, a and you know, various other other things that we need to get our head around and create those international institutions that can that can do that. And yeah. if we don't do that, we're going to be forever. Um, we, you can never throw enough resources into tackling the symptoms of those crises. You know, you can never build enough tanks, enough planes, enough missiles. You're always going, you just can't. It, so you need to deal with the symptoms. It's like in this country, you know, a lot of people think about tackling crime and we know what the right wing view is. You build more prisons and you give the police more powers. Well, that's certainly one approach. And we've been doing it a long time and it hasn't worked. Yeah, they have. And yeah. the way I would say the way that you try to deal with it, you deal with the, the causes and the symptoms which yeah. are, you know, we know that poverty, we know that, you know, um, poor housing, we know that poor jobs, insecurity, we know all of those factors, unequal societies help generate, um, yeah. you know, the, the conditions for more criminality. So, yeah. you know, how do you tackle the root causes rather than simply, you know, giving the police more armaments or more wealth yeah. or more resources, sorry, building more prisons? That's the American system. I don't think it works. And I think actually that's the whole argument behind defund the police, not necessarily take money away from the police to stop them policing, but to stop arming the police and to stop making that the premier route to tackle these issues. And I think that's right. You know, now we've got a police force that's saying it can't deal with mental health cases. Well, yeah. there are lots of, lots okay. of things on packing that. Yeah, but yeah. actually, you know, maybe we should be putting more money into 
the causes of that mental health. Yeah, um, th thank, thank you, Clive. Listen, I, I wish I had more. I had longer with you, but um, <laughs> we, we, we've reached the end. I hope we can get you back on. But one of the things is, you know, we're, we're talking about this issue around millennials today, but um, some of your answers in being able to have the bravery to, to deal with some of these key issues that aren't necessarily on the top five um, issues that, that Rishi Sunak or, or even uh, other political parties may talk about is really, really important. And in, intertwining them with things like the environment um, will certainly get uh, millennial ears uh, listening and um, their feet more likely to go towards the ballot box. Thank you so much, Clive, uh, so for joining much. us. That's Clive uh, Lewis. Uh, I'm going to be talking next to Dr. Joe Crisp, Research Associate in the Institute for Policy Research at the University of Bath. He'll be joining me after this. Fubar Radio presents as handsome as you imagine. What did you have for breakfast that morning? Almost certainly a pie. For breakfast? Yeah, because we started really, really early, right? At the butchers. Yeah. We started proper early, yeah. like 7 o'clock. I would have had at least six pies. A day? A day. That is a lot of pies. No, no, because we sold them at the shop. That is a legitimate answer to the question, who ate all the pies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From 1pm every Monday... Welcome back. Uh, joining us next, uh, we've got Dr. Joe Crisp, Research Associate in the Institute for Policy Research, IPR, at the University of Bath. We're going to carry on our conversation around millennials and the Conservative uh, Party. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for joining us. We're talking about this Onward report, uh, specifically around as people get older, they're, they're less likely to vote uh, Conservative. Is this an issue that, that, that you think is right on the money? Is the analysis there, and and how do you think the Conservative Party should be reacting to it? Oh, we've got more technical difficulties. So uh, there we go. I can hear Hi. you. Can you hear me? Oh, perfect. Yeah. Sorry, I I missed the missed the question. Amazing. Well, listen. Thank you so much for joining us. Sorry, we're talking no about this onward report uh, around millennials and how it seems for the first time as people are getting older, they're not more likely to vote Conservative. What's your reaction to this? Yeah, I'd, I actually had a lot to agree with in the Onward report, even though maybe my perspective wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be taking the same perspective in terms of trying to win back uh, conserv conservative votes. But certainly I had a lot to agree with because I think a lot of emphasis tends to be on the culture wars that that younger voters are being lost to the Conservative Party just because um, just because of, you know, the, the attempt first Brexit being a framed as a primarily culture war issue and then also um, things to do with um, refugees and, and other things like that being the central issue which has lost younger voters and I think you know it's hard to ignore <laughs> uh, 13 years of stagnant real wages uh, a huge housing crisis in cities uh, across the country uh, cuts to education budgets rising childcare costs uh, different trajectories of working age benefits compared to pensions. Uh, all of these factors, you know, are clearly incredibly important for younger voters, millennials, and sort of just implying that the only reason that they've, you know, become slightly less likely to to, to vote conservative, I think, just because you know of, of the cultural issues, I think is is missing quite a big elephant in the room so joe you're uh, telling is... me it's not the wokarati that has taken control <laughs> of millennials there's breaking news no so so i think what's also really interesting to think about is what's what's unique what's different right i mean younger people have always been less likely to vote conservative you know that 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 every election result that we have survey data for younger people have been less likely to vote conservative than older people, you know, that that's a kind of universal thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the, the kind of finding that some people have been, you know, John Byrne Murdoch at the Financial Times kind of uh, popularized this idea that millennials are not becoming more conservative as they age. Uh, you know, and his, his argument is mainly that this is because of social liberalism. And I, I you know, I think firstly, I would wonder, you know, I, I listened a little bit to before your conversation with Clive Lewis, and I think it's it's a it's a bit hasty to imply that this is, you know, not going to change in the next few years. You know, we've had 13 years of conservative-led governments, which mm -hmm. haven't been very good for the economy or for or for, <laughs> for people in the labour market, and it's not surprising that they're turning against the Conservative Party. What the data does not show is that they're becoming they're not becoming more conservative in their attitudes, 
Mm-hmm. And particularly on certain things, which I actually agreed with on the Onward report, that young people are also quite against increasing taxes and more against increasing taxes than um, older people, for example, who don't think the taxes are going to fall on <laughs> on them. Yeah. Uh, and what, so, so, you know, there are some. Yeah. I, I, so I, th- I thought that was interesting. I mean, look, one of the questions I would have is obviously, given the economic insecurity, the question of taxation is a difficult one to ask again, the labor market millennials, given exactly. that we're in such a tough economic situation. So it, I don't know if it's more about values versus realities of where we are economically. What I found really interesting that I want to ask you about is, you know, we joke about this woke karate stuff. But Mm. if you look at the top five issues that millennials care about, according to the report, versus the top five issues that the British average is. So it seems they agree on three, right? Millennials and the British average. The economy, the NHS and the environment are are within the top five for both. What's different is millennials tend to care about housing and taxation more. And the British average is crime and immigration. So you can see that there seems to be a key gap uh, between the national average top five issues and millennials average top five issues. And when you look at them as housing and taxation versus crime and immigration, you see clearly why the conservative narrative is not connecting. Exactly, 100%. And I think when when we compare it to the British average, in a sense, what you're doing is comparing it to older voters. And I think that's one of the things that kind of gets missed from this discussion sometimes is that you know since 2010, about between 25 and 30% of millennials have voted conservative. That's not a particularly low number of of young people to be voting conservative. What's been really striking is how many older age pensioners have voted conservative. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in a sense, there's the conservatives are in a kind of bind where their core vote is so, so filled with older voters. Yeah. Many of whom are much more likely to turn out. Uh, much more likely to be homeowners, you know, um, have been protected to a large extent from the kind of economic stagnation that we've had over the last 13 years because asset prices have done very well over that period. And so, you know, in a sense, their key issues are immigration and crime because they haven't done quite as badly over the last 13 years. And that's largely what the Conservative Party are focusing on and not focusing on the kind of issues like childcare housing um um taxation or or whatever that like like that you mentioned so the other question i have for you is obviously you you work at the university of bath and these are areas that you that you observe closely clive gave us a bit of a warning he said listen yes you know this is a problem for the conservative party but he's not so convinced it's an existential problem given the the first past the post system that we have so it may be that conservatives can go bollocks the millennials the OAPs are who I'm after and the system is going to favor me and I'll walk into another majority even if I don't have, you know, even if I lose a whole generation of voters, I can still walk in with the majority. That's perfectly possible, no? I don't think so. Okay. Um, I don't think... I, you, I mean, you, so you think the gap look, in the votes, if they lose the millennial, say, not, we're not talking 18 to 24, what we're talking is 34 to 44, for example, that gap is a serious electoral problem for the Conservatives. I think... I think their biggest electoral problem is loss of support across across the board. I mean, most of the polls show that they have retained the 65 plus kind of age group, but have lost basically support across the whole working age population to, to a huge degree. And I don't think, you know, that they the 65 pluses are a huge percentage of the population and growing, but also an even larger percentage of the electorate because so many of them turn out compared to younger voters. But it's not enough to counter, um, you know, the the amount of support they've lost in the working age population. I think the, the kind of more interesting question really is whether they're capable, like you mentioned in the conversation before, of a, about turn after the next election, if they lose the next election, mm-hmm. is it really existential for them yeah can they afford can they afford to lose multiple elections is the question without losing a whole generation of voters because they're not going to win the younger voters are they exactly i think so the the key thing which i which makes me skeptical that it's existential in a kind of longer term perspective is that every younger generation there's been you know for the last sort of 40 years has been less tied to political tie uh, there's been less partisan ties right mm-hmm. so 
it's one of the causes of the increased volatility we've seen in elections over the last, you know, um, 13 years is that less and less younger people and younger generations yeah. say that they are strongly attached to a yeah. political party. So uh, the I, extent to which, you know, they the younger voters dislike for the Conservative Party is kind of going to yeah. continue into the medium term if there's a change of um, leadership, there's a change of position, you know, all those kind of things. I think um, I think that that makes it less existential than maybe it, it could have been in the past. Yeah. Okay, so I've got one more question for you, and maybe you can answer this. I'm a millennial, and I can't yeah. figure this out. <laughs> Rishi Sunak is polling far higher than the Conservative Party here. What do yeah. people see in Rishi that I don't? <laughs> well, millennials, anyway. I don't know. I think it's 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 a funny kind of vibes. It, it's 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 a good bit of evidence for the that, kind of. Vibes is it those jumpers theory. he wears? You know those pictures with <laughs> jumpers he wears that he puts on Twitter. Exactly. He just he just seems like a sort of uh, nice liberal, even though he you know he's probably yeah, he's more conservative than a lot of people. Held hostage by the far right of his party, but at least yeah. you know I'm a little bit taller than him, and and you know that 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 helps me feel better about myself. Uh, I, I also think I also think um, you know. For, for lots of people that don't pay attention to politics as much as you and I do, most you know, people, he, most people, he he is associated ult- ultimately with the furlough scheme, and that mm. helped a lot of people during yeah. um, COVID. And look, in a way, which is... I, I I guess he 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 looks and presents himself as a little bit more dynamic, a little bit younger, a little bit more in tune with with that vote base. So I mean, exactly. but the competition but, but... was Liz Truss and Boris Johnson, so I'm not sure there's much to compete there. Joe, listen, I'm, I'm sorry, I've run out of time. We'll definitely get you back. That was Dr. Joe Crisp, Research Associate in the Institute for Policy at the University of Bath. FUBAR Radio presents The Dating Show. So we have got the incredible Sunita. How does Sunita whittle down the people she wants to talk to to the people she doesn't? What's your criteria? Well, you've got to be an adult. Um, <laughs> okay. That's always a good start. Always a good start. But when I'm an adult, not just like 18, you've got to be like not young enough to be my child. Um, <laughs> you have to ideally... Be London-based because I am. Yeah. Although I don't mind if you've got a country pad, that would be nice. So at the minute we're going with age and location are important. Age and location are good. Every Friday from 6 p.m. Fubar Radio. Okay, introducing next, we have James Cowling, CEO of Next Generation Tories, a campaign calling for the Conservative Party to focus on the policy priorities of the next generation, including work, home and family. James, thank you so much for joining us. We're we're talking today around whether there's an existential crisis uh, with the Conservative Party. We are now seeing data suggesting that maybe for the first time, as people are getting older, they may not be getting more conservative. That is obviously an issue for the Conservative Party, given that older voters have traditionally been their voter base. Uh, Now, you've created this organisation called Next Gen Conservatives, Next Gen Tories. Clearly, you are also responding to the same things we're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, as you've described, this is a challenge for the Conservative Party that if the millennial generation don't start to turn towards the Conservative Party and rely more and more heavily on the existing base of over 65 uh, year old voters, we will face a challenge if those people don't vote Conservative or don't consider voting Conservative. So the reason we established Next Gen Tories was to address some of the core delivery areas that we need to win over those millennial voters, the bracket that I fall into, uh, and I think you probably do as well. Yeah, that's, so, that's, that's very kind. I like to consider myself still young. Um, yeah. But look, I guess the question I have is, the Conservative Party has changed quite drastically, I think in the last 10 years. Um, we're seeing that millennials are particularly interested in things like the economy, uh, the NHS, but also environment, housing, um, child care issues, uh, things like uh, race, social justice. Now, why on earth would any young person want to be a conservative, given the Tory party's record on these areas? So I think there's some really interesting polling that lots of millennials have conservative attitudes insofar as they're economically liberal uh, they may be socially liberal, but they may be centre-right in their values. What the Next Generation uh, Tories project stands for is delivering for those people in some of the key areas that they care about. So um, you may have seen recently Onward have uh, produced polling on what millennials think. And some of the key concerns that those people uh, and that generation recognise are housing and taxation. So 
what we want to do is bring forward centre-right proposals for how you deal with some of those things. So if you take housing, it's about building more, but in a way that uh, works with urban density and infilling some of those urban areas as opposed to building greenfield, which is more difficult to get past politically. And on taxation, it's about balancing taxation. So at the moment, so much of taxation comes from income, which nat you know naturally comes from working people and younger people. So when there is room to cut taxes, you cut taxes at the working end first, as opposed to uh, on things like assets. So it's about a general rebalancing that can take uh, place from a centre-right position to win over some of those people. Yeah, let's tackle the first thing you said. So you said that uh, the polling suggests, I haven't seen any polling that suggests that, that millennials or younger people uh, are more centre-right in their values. You mentioned that, conserv uh, that socially they tend to be more liberal. Uh, the, the report I'm looking at, the Unwood report, has them uh, economically centre-left. So in what world are they centre-right in their values if in their social views, they're on the left. In their economic views, they're on the left. It's, uh, uh, well, I'm not sure which report you're looking at. Um, but well, uh, I, so uh, it's, 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 it's called that, Missing Millennials. It's the Onward report that's come out that's the same one. Yeah, on the 30th yeah, yeah. of so, May 2023. So broadly that these people don't want, um, you know, they, they're not deeply left to centre. They're what, what they describe as shy capitalists. So uh, don't want mass redistribution but have key concerns that are different to the wider population. So uh, some of those key concerns are housing and taxation, which uh, if you compare to the general population, other people aren't as concerned by. So the centre-right theory yeah, I mean, is look, the, 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 I, the shy capitalist point, it says specifically, on their general economic values, millennials lean centre-left. They think equality should be prioritised over economic growth and that a person's position in society is due to the outside factors rather than individual effort. That's not that's not a right wing position or right wing values. I think it can be. It's about um, putting forward a proposition that works within that framework. So broadly, a centre left or a centre right platform can be similar, but the delivery is the point that is different. So from a centre right perspective, we need to answer some of those really core uh, concerns that people have, but in a business friendly. Uh, economically uh, sensible way as mm -hmm. opposed to a centre-left yeah. opposition. Well, what I'm trying to get down to is I understand the work that you're doing in trying to connect um, more young people or millennials to the Conservative Party and recognising that there is an existential crisis, and there is, because if this report is to be believed, things like the environment, things like the NHS, things like the cost of living crisis, housing that you've talked about, the Conservative 13-year record, as we sit today, is appalling. I mean, up until 2019, the number of uh, houses built under Conservative government were near none when you looked at net numbers. When you look at the environment, they're not meeting any of the global targets in terms of the more optimistic view of where we should be going. Every And you've got all the... the, the the controversy around the spillage and the sewage. The NHS waiting list is as long as it's ever been. The cost of living crisis is rampant. People are right not to be Tories, specifically young people, no? So I, I disagree with some of those points. I mean, we need to go further on housing. That That's undeniable. I think that is a problem that can be fixed, mm -hmm. uh, particularly with urban density. But on the environment, actually, I think we have a pretty good centre-right uh, record on that. We've decarbonised more quickly than... Uh, most major developed nations, and that's something that I think is a real uh, testament of uh, the government for the past 13 years, particularly uh, uh, the early uh, part. Still not meeting the 2030 target, though, are we? Uh, I think we can be on track. I mean, we need to go further and we need to continue to deliver on that. But to say that the Conservatives haven't been delivering on that, I, I think isn't true. We are going faster than most other major developed economies. So if you benchmark us against our competitors, I'd say we're doing pretty well on the environment. Well, yeah. I mean, if those competitors are China, yeah. But um, uh, but not on other things. But look, I see that, that you're trying to, um, you know, address some of these key issues. The, the problem is that the Conservative Party has changed. And the noise that we hear from, let's call it mainstream conservatives now, um, you know, whereas... 10 years ago, you might have had the likes of David Cameron and George Osborne at the front. Now we've got, you know, some of the key conservatives that we see and hear from are people like Nadine Doris and Jacob Rees-Mogg. And they seem to be going after everything from trans people's rights to uh, migrants and stopping the boats. None of these issues are really the issues that are affecting day-to-day -day millennials. So this, is, this problem is only going to get worse if the far right of the Conservative Party is allowed to run rampant and attack migrants and refugees and trans people, as opposed to dealing with the fact that young people don't don't have a place to live 
So I think we need to deal with all of those issues. For example, Michael Gove is the levelling up secretary, recognises many of these issues. So there are things going forward like uh, the Renters Reform Bill, which uh, will change the way in which renters have uh, significant conditions. So I think that's something that's a really positive uh, proposition. There's also the levelling up and regeneration bill that's going through, uh, which focuses on urban regeneration. So there are positive steps in the right direction. I think that's something that we need to focus on. Also, um, the Chancellor has done fairly well so far in one of our three tests. So the last budget introduced uh, childcare uh, for the under ones and twos, 33 hours of childcare. That's something that we really welcome. That's the type of priority uh, that we think is important to winning over some of those millennial generations who at the moment are struggling to have a family. So I don't accept that characterization that the Conservative Party isn't doing enough. It's we want to speed up what's going on. Yeah, but I mean, uh, look, really drive if, down on that focus. if you look at Rishi Sunak's for these, these five priorities that he came out with recently, um, and we look at what the top five issues from the onward reports yes some of the economic cost of living issues and the nhs is there but on the environment there's nothing here on the environment the five issues by the way are halving inflation economic uh growing the economy falling debt uh waiting lists cutting down nhs waiting lists and obviously small boats have somehow made it onto the top five yet the environment hasn't housing hasn't taxation hasn't brexit hasn't you know but small boats has this is the problem isn't it they're, they're, they're pandering to the far right as opposed to dealing with losing a huge proportion of the voter base. I, I don't accept that characterization at all. Well, there I have mean, small most... votes made it on there, but the environment hasn't. Because that is a major concern of many people. But to, to say that's pandering to the far right, I don't think it's an accurate statement. You don't uh, think the, the narrative around immigration and small boats uh, and, you know, uh, Ministers of State calling things like invasions around uh, refugees, some of the most vulnerable people in our society, is not pandering to the far right. I think the majority of people in the UK would like to see fewer uh, small boats landing in this country. I think everybody would like to see fewer people travelling under those circumstances, but I don't think the majority of the people in the UK would call it an invasion, would they? As a Conservative Home Secretary did. I don't think that's what the phrasing of that priority is. Priority of Rishi Sunak in those top five is four or three big economic points, the NHS and the small boats point. That reflects the, the what we, is borne out in the polling of people's priorities. Okay, um, so let, let... To, to, to answer your sort of earlier question of does that fit in what millennials would like, um, yes, it does, because there are, there are a, a number of key big economic things that you deal with in those five points. But yes, there are also other priorities that we need to... Uh, sort of come under those priorities, which are uh, housing, taxation, and childcare. I think we are getting progress on those things, but we need to do more when, when time allows. So for example, once we have inflation down, and once we have the debt falling, which are two of those priorities, we will then have some room to lower taxes. And what Next Gen Tories is calling for is lowering those taxes uh, in a way which benefits millennials and working people. Mm -hmm. So within the framework of those priorities, you can achieve the goals that Next Gen Tories are calling for. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I can hear, even in your answers, may, uh, tell me if I'm misinterpreting it, but there seems to be a battle within the Conservative Party about the priorities, as there usually is in political parties, the same exists in Labour. Um, and it sounds like you're fighting the likes of Jacob Rees-Mogg and um, Nadine Doris uh, on these issues because, you know, their priorities are different. And what I want to talk about is Rishi Sunak, lastly, before we go. Um, the, the report has, you know, surprisingly, Rishi Sunak uh, amongst millennial polling higher than the party. Do you think Rishi Sunak could potentially uh, connect... Uh, with millennials in a way that the Conservative Party as a brand may not? I think there's an opportunity there. And uh, I think it is really interesting that he uh, seems to be... I'm baffled by, by it. i got to be honest, James. I have no idea how this has happened. Well, do you know what? I think it's because he's young, metropolitan. Uh, I think he may just be outside of the bracket that we describe of the under 45s, but um, feels metropolitan and younger um, and I think he should tap into some of those instincts that he appears to have. So, uh, you know, on some of these millennial priorities, I think if they can creep up the agenda, I think he would be rewarded for that. There are a lot of people who are uh, floating voters, actually a lot of people are floating voters in those sort of uh, early 40s, late 30s. If we can start to prioritise some of the, the key concerns of those people, 
uh, I think he'll see the benefits from that. He has just hit his lowest uh, uh, polling overall, obviously, um, it, since he became prime minister. I think he was around hovering around 30% as to whether he would make uh, who would make the best prime minister between him and Kirstam. No, Kirstam obviously doesn't fare much better. I think he's at 35%. Uh, James, thank you so much uh, for joining us. That was James Cowling, CEO of Next Generation Tories, a campaign calling for Conservative Party to focus on the policy priorities of the next generation, including things like work, home, family, taxation, and many of the things that we've spoken about today. Thank you so much, James. Thanks very much. In my pursuit to find out how on earth millennials find Rishi Sunak more attractive as a prime minister than the Conservative Party as a whole. We have Mikhail Korniv, researcher at Bright Blue Independent Think Tank and pressure group advocating for liberal conservative ideas and policies. Mikhail, thank you so much for joining us. First of all, let me get your initial reactions to this onward report that suggests that the Conservative Party might be in an existential crisis, losing for the first time uh, millennials. And as people get older, they're less likely to vote conservative. What's your initial reaction to it? Uh, yeah, first of all, thanks. Uh Pleasure to be here. Um, I think that overall uh, the results are very interesting, very insightful, but they're uh, very predictable as well. It's something that we have observed in recent uh, months or recent years uh, that uh, the Conservative Party is uh, existing in a, in a slight dismatch uh, with the uh, younger generation. Uh, however, it, it is uh, historically unusual that millennials are not getting conservative uh, as the age. Um, and I think the, there are two broad factors that have contributed to this trend. This is first and foremost the housing, that the housing is becoming significantly unaffordable to young generation. Uh, the uh, house prices are skyrocketing high despite this uh, recent decline in uh, house prices. Yeah, I saw, a report, I saw a report on housing that said that in London, uh, the deposit can be as high average of £115,000 a deposit for a house in London. So I think yeah, that's yeah. Uh, It is uh, very uh, illustrative that housing yeah. uh, is uh, several times higher uh, than the uh, what median wage could be able to afford. And that's uh, people... Uh, when they compare themselves to their uh, fathers and grandfathers who in their age would be able to afford a house on their own, mm -hmm. uh, they get reasonably frustrated because of this. Yeah. And so do you think, look, let's be, look beyond the next general election. Let's assume they're going to lose because that seems to be the general sort of, I don't think it's a given by any stretch of the imagination, but the predictions tend to be that they're going to lose. Do you think the Conservatives, if we look beyond that, do they have a more long-term problems? Could they see themselves in opposition for a generation as they lose a whole generation of voters? Um, I think the uh, the second big issue that have contributed to millennials shifting away from the Conservative Party is that it is an intergenerational issue. However, it is particularly strong for, for the millennials, for the young people, uh, that people are becoming uh, something more socially liberal. And uh, this is something that the Conservative Party uh, seemed to uh, uh, lose the pace with. And migrants becoming too reactionary, uh, too focused on migration and crime, uh, some things that are not the priority uh, for, for young people and for millennials in particular. Yeah. So it, it is something that uh, is going to play in the long term. I would probably uh, fall myself to disagree that uh, the result of the next general election is settled. I think that the let me dream, man. Chance, chance for the Conservative Party. Uh, however, it has to be played wisely. No, I absolutely agree. I mean, look, uh, I've spent far too many election nights and far too many counts disappointed to 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 discount the Conservatives. I think the the, the question seems to be, you know, Clive Lewis, Labour MP, Clive Lewis earlier warned us that one of the things history teaches us is the Conservative Party are highly adaptable. They are a party of principally power. Uh, and they're able to rebrand and readapt themselves. If you're a conservative and you're looking at this report, uh, and let's say you're an independent advisor, what would you say to do to tip the nose of the plane up and to recover from what seems to be a nosedive in millennial voting patterns? Uh, yeah, I, I can't agree more with uh, the statement that the Conservative Party is highly adaptable because Conservative Party is historically a party of mainstream political ideas. It is about... Uh, being rational and competent and confident about the economy, not focusing so much on the 
Uh, well, I don't think the last 13 years have been rational or competent, but... but um, I think it's debatable. There, there, there was a lot of crisis, unprecedented crisis going on, such as the COVID, Ukraine, because uh, of crisis that were... Mm. But there were also lots of Tory crises, the NHS, housing, crime. Yeah, just... Uh, cost of living. In, in terms of the Tory have to do more in what they have to uh, deliver on as particular issues that you raise. Uh, it is the housing, it is the social services, it is the accessibility of social services. Uh, so uh, in the medium term and the long term, it significantly comes to uh, these broadly economical things, such as mm -hmm. housing, uh, such as uh, social services. And I think uh, that the uh, recent activity of the current government has demonstrated that Tories do understand it, that the government does see yeah. these things. Yeah. Uh, because the economy uh, has stabilized yeah. uh, during the premiership. Yeah, and uh, so, like, so listen, uh, we're running out of time. So my last question to you would be, as a, as a sort of, as an independent think tank, do you think the Conservative Party should be raising alarms? Should they be ringing the bells? Uh, is this a crisis or is it merely just a small problem to deal with? Um, I don't think, <laughs> uh, I think these are all uh, of views. Uh, there is definitely some truth in the middle that these things are indeed important. Uh, it is a big problem that the Conservative Party is uh, losing the appeal to young people and to the millennials. However, we do see that uh, this uh, economic confidence and uh, stabilizing the economy, delivering on childcare, for instance, and uh, seeking to uh, provide social services is something yeah. that people want. And if the Conservative Party continues uh, with the same pace, uh, it will uh, have good chances uh, in the upcoming elections. Okay, thank you so much. That was Mikhail Corney, researcher at Blight Blue, independent think tank uh, and pressure group advocating for liberal conservative ideas and policies. I guess Mikhail had a slightly more optimistic view than other guests have as to whether the, the Conservatives are able to recover. But at, as ever... You know, I can bring all the guests we want into the show, all the politicians, journalists, think tanks, the Ali Milanis of this world. But the most interesting views that we ever hear are those of people on the ground. So our wonderful producers, our brilliant producers, have been on the streets, in the pubs, in the dark alleys, asking people their views on whether the Tories are toast. Absolutely, yeah. 100%. They should have been gone years ago. Yeah. I don't know what the alternative is with the current Labour Party, but, I mean, it's going to be better than what we've got now. There's not much else to say apart from the fact that they've just fucked us up, especially since COVID. Representation for young people, or just, like, people that live in London in general is not there. The thing is, I don't think young people are involved enough in politics in general, and we should be more involved because we literally are going to be living in the and whatever mess happens in the next couple of years, it's going to be our problem as adults. I think the most important issue is green politics. So I will vote for whichever party most reflects what I would like to happen. Next year, would you like to see anyone new in power? Yes, just a woman, precisely a woman who's actually good and isn't a fucking Tory for once. There we have it. Uh, views from the streets, from real people, um, which seems to suggest that the Tories are fucked, if I may use the words, of um, the the individuals from the Vox Pops. Listen, we've talked today about this Onward report, but one thing is undeniable. Whether you're on the more optimistic view like Mikhail was as to whether the Tories can adapt, readjust and rebrand, uh, or you think that they are in existential crisis... This culture war, this war on woke, has clearly led to a disconnect between people who traditionally should be veering towards conservatism, conservatism as they have in history, um, and that break is a real risk for the Conservative Party. Millennials, so people, not, we're not just talking 18 to 24-year-olds, but 34-year-olds, 44-year-olds, care about the cost of living crisis. They care about the NHS. They care about the environment. They care about housing. They care about education. These are the issues that they want tackled, and no amount of war on woke, no amount of uh, pandering to the far right of the Conservative Party 
will save the Tories. Somehow Rishi Sunak is a little bit more popular than the Conservative Party and it seems that if they are not able to talk to some of the key issues that millennials care about, they risk fracturing what has been a traditional journey for voters in that as they get older, they get more conservative. And that is a real issue, I think, that the conservative face. And I'll end with a quote that has been attributed to many, many people, which is, if a person is not liberal when he is 20, he has no heart. If he is not a conservative when he is 40, he has no head. Well, that quote is fucked. And the Tories are fucked. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to all of our guests who have joined us throughout today, to Clive Lewis, to Dr. Joe Crisp, to Mikhail Corneve, um, to James Cowling, to all of the people in our Vox Pops. I will see you next week. Salams. <laughs>